Welcome to the Investing Evolution Podcast with Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz from SunGarden Investment Research. We are an investment firm that takes an alternative approach to the most common investor objectives, preservation, income, and long-term growth. We focus on bottom line outcomes, not what everyone else is doing. In this podcast, we clarify confusing investor issues, bust investment myths, and discuss how to invest in any investment climate. Our number one goal is to help you think about investing in a different way, a more straightforward way, without all the fluff and sales tactics of the Wall Street culture. Listen in as we share stories and insights on how to offer a truly unique approach to investing. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another Investing Evolution podcast with Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz. Today, we're going to talk about something that not enough financial services professionals talk about, which is what is preservation and why don't advisors talk about it more? So Vince, right out of the gate, we need to start with a good operational definition of what preservation is. What is it and what does it mean? Yeah, good question, Matt. Thank you. Preservation to us means don't lose big. And it's really our mantra here at SunGarden. So we focus on preservation in our models. To us, it's really, really important to make sure that we don't lose big first. And then from there, we look for opportunities. How do you do it differently then? I mean, how, how do you make it? And, and how is that mantra put into effect in your, uh, your systems for investing in your philosophy? So the first thing we do, Matt, is we get to know our clients, right? So so don't lose big obviously means different things to different people. So the first thing we do with our clients is we, we get to know what their goals and aspirations are, and then we get a really good feel for what their risk tolerance is and, and see if there's a match between that and, and what they're trying to do with their money. And, and if not, then we, then we need to tweak it to figure out how we get there. But then once we do and we figure out what what a big loss means to someone and what and what preservation is in their world, we make sure it matches up with with our thinking. And then we go ahead and build portfolios with things that specifically are in there that are designed to protect on the downside, which is quite different from your traditional asset allocation type model that a lot of advisors employ. How do you figure out the risk, though, guys? That That's something to me. Um, I had an advisor who was a friend of mine who wanted me to beta test his risk allies. And then mm-hmm. after I took the risk allies, he said, Matt, you are investing like a 90-year-old man. And I was like, well, heck, I just answered the questions. <laughs> uh, talk to me about how you guys use a risk tolerance and, and, and different systems to flesh that out. Yeah, so um, risk allies is a great system. It's actually one one that we use and we we moved over to using Riskalyze uh what Rob a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and and really we have I think each of us in our careers uh before we were together and especially since we've been together, we have stress tested a lot of risk models, modeling software, things like that. Uh, the thing we like about this one is it it shortens the time frame enough because everybody says they're a long-term investor until something goes horribly wrong. And uh, what we like about this one in particular, the risk-alized system, is it uh, it, it looks at it uh, on a six-month time frame. And you know, we actually have a uh, our own phrase. Uh, we call it ABL, 
and Vince mentioned before, we're trying to avoid the big loss. And ABL always keeps us centered. And so by extension, we wanted to get a tool that could help us with that and a tool that wouldn't just help us, but it would help get the client in the right mindset uh, to talk about what risk really means and yeah. over what time frame we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I, I find it much much more useful than your traditional risk tolerance questionnaire, which is, you know, Rob, you and I growing up in this business, we you know had paper risk tolerance questionnaires that had all these really esoteric questions to try to figure out what someone's risk tolerance is. Fast forward to today using Riskalyze and that, that and using that six month time frame, it's just like, look, if you've got a million bucks and your million bucks turned into seven hundred thousand in six months, is, is that good with you? <laughs> and it, it makes it really, really simple and and quantifies it in a way that I think um, most most other systems don't do. And, and we love it. It really helps. Well, I, I think it's been our experience, fellas, that uh, people think they know themselves in an investment context. But investing is so inherently emotional when you get when it's not something that you do every day. And I think what we've trained ourselves to do, and, and obviously you do it the hard way and you make a lot of mistakes along the way, but uh, Vince and, and I and, and, and the team that we lead, uh, we've all been through the, the enough uh, battles, whether it's with uh, markets or, or you're trying to put the right plan together. And I think with, with anything like this, yes, there's an emotional component to it, and that has to be sort of right size for each investor, and each investor is different. You say, what's a big loss? And to Matt impersonating a 90-year-old, it's one answer. And uh, to a 35-year-old uh, uh, couple that just had their first child, it could be something else. And to somebody that's uh, 55 years old and wants to retire in five to 10 years and thinks they have about enough money to do it and doesn't want to blow it at the back end of all their working years, it's completely different. And I think what's really so significant in this is you want to focus on risk tolerance, which is why we we use risk allies and some other methods, but you also don't want to overcorrect. And so we go beyond just the simple question of hypothetical dollar amounts. Let's talk about that loss, though. So the ABL phrase, the avoid the big loss is a sun garden mantra, but Let's talk about loss. I mean, everybody's going to lose money at some point in their portfolio. I'm sorry, that just, and, and maybe I'm not allowed to talk in absolutes like that, but it seems that, you know, if you're going to try to get some upside, there's the potential for downside. So you need to be prepared for that. But what, what does it mean? Let, let's say somebody does lose X amount. Let's say it's 30% uh, in their portfolio. How does that actually play out over time? with with how flexible you all need to be and how much do they need to get back in order to just break even? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. So what a lot of people don't realize, if you lose 30%, you need to make more than 30% just to get back to even. In fact, it, it's actually rounded up. It's 43% on the upside just to get back to even. And that's one of the big reasons. And, and, the, and the numbers get worse as it goes. You know, if you lose 40% or 50%, I mean, it just the, the numbers get even worse as to what you need to make 
just to get back to even. So like Rob said, you know, we've both been in this business a long time. We've, and, and we've learned from our mistakes along the way. And one of the big ones is if you, if you want to uh, reap the rewards of, of compound interest and, 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 I won't get into the details of that on this podcast, but I'm sure a lot of folks who've been investing for a long time and advisors know how compound interest works and, and it's, and it's very magical, but the first thing you need to do to take advantage of that is to not lose a lot of money. And that's why we're, we're so focused on preservation and so focused on getting that right with the client from the get go as to why, you know, how much are we going to focus on preservation? Well, it's it's different for every client, right? It's, if you're if you're a ninety year old guy, Matt, and that's your that's the way you feel about investing, then we need to be cognizant of that, and we need to make sure we're managing your portfolio to that risk tolerance. Because in in working with us, we want to forge a long term relationship. We want to make sure that you get the type of investor experience that you signed up for. I and was, at, oh, and I, at the risk of uh, sorry, Matt, at the risk of going a little bit quant uh, on you guys here, you know, we I think especially after uh, the kind of markets we've had over the last uh, nine years for stocks and thirty five some odd years for bonds, uh, there haven't been a lot of uncomfortable moments. There haven't been a lot of true pain points. And sometimes either people forget or they weren't investors the last time this happened. This is particularly true of bonds. But the, the even I mean, people know the stock market is volatile. At least I think they remember it is. But uh, I was just pulling something up here as we were as we were talking. And I mean, just within the last decade, you had a period in which the the broad stock market S and P 500 fell by over 40 percent in six months. Uh, I remember that pretty well because it was the first time I managed a mutual fund, and and right out of the gates. Uh, what people maybe don't understand is that even investments that maybe in recent history have not produced major drops in value. Uh, they can do so very quickly. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that even a portfolio of longer-term bonds can fall by 10 to 20% before you can blink an eye. And so a lot of times, you know, it, what it comes back to is, yes, there's, there is risk of principal fluctuation in everything. At the end of the day, I think, uh, and this is what I think Vince and the advisory folks here do so well, is they tie that attitude toward risk. I'd put it that way, that attitude toward risk and, and fluctuation and short-term volatility in the value of your account. They tie that to what your ultimate objectives are. I don't want to say it's as simple as no pain, no gain, um, but it does need to be fleshed out. And, uh, and sometimes you only learn more about yourself as an investor when you had some actual experience with it which is why the idea that we do focus on avoiding the big loss, if you can get that accurate for the client up front, then uh, the rest you know, gives you have a much better chance of, of having pretty smooth sailing from there because the expectations are in check. And I think that's where it really goes wrong for advisors up front. The expectations between the advisor and the client are not set because like Vince said, 
they just sort of brush over it with a compliance uh, department's required risk tolerance questionnaire. Yeah. And, and Rob, th- there's something in there I, I need a little bit more color on. You said bonds can fall 10 to 20 <laughs> percent. I don't I don't get that. Well, I do. But can you give me a little yeah. more color there? Because 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 what most folks will do to, to try to mitigate risk and create a, a portfolio that's, quote, conservative is put a lot of money in bonds. I mean, they've done so well over the last 30 years, haven't they? Well, my facetious friend, let me answer it this way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I write for Forbes pretty often, and uh, there was an article a few, a few months back, and the title was How to Lose 17% Really Easy. And it, bonds are math, okay? And so when interest rates are going down, you, know, you, 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 have, uh, you have the amount of interest that a bond pays, the coupon. Okay, and there's a zero coupon bond, but I won't make it any more complex than it needs to be. So you you have an amount that you're going to get from the issuer of the bond. And then you have the impact of interest rates during the time you own the bond. So if you own the bond, uh, if, it's a, if it's a three-month treasury bill, well, there isn't going to be that much time for the interest rate to fluctuate. And then at the end, you're going to get back pretty much the money you know, that you, that you put up and some interest. So that's not the problem. But what a lot of people don't realize is that once you start to get into the realm of 7, 10, 20, 30-year bonds, or even some bonds that go out to 100 years in maturity, that introduces, I mean, think about anything in, in life. Are you more certain of what's going to happen in your life over the next week, over in the next 20 or 30 years, right? So... When you, when you then apply just some basic math of the bond world to it, it's very easy to have, let's say, a bond that you buy with a, for, with $100 of your hard-earned money. Okay, I take a very simple example. And yes, you can expect, if the issuer doesn't default, okay, that in, let's say, 20 years, you're going to get that $100 back. But if interest rates start to go up, that bond that they were paying you maybe $3 a year in interest on your $100, all of a sudden, people can get similar bonds for 4%, 5%, 6%. Well, how valuable is your 3%er? And now you're stuck with it for 20 years in this example, and yep. you're going you're gonna to end up with, uh, uh, with a pretty big loss because the market reflects that. And that's how you can lose money on bonds and much of people's money these days, they don't realize it. It's not in bonds you just buy and you hold until maturity. It's in bond funds that buy very long-term bonds. And so they're introducing this basic bond risk that I that I just explained, but they're doing it hundreds of times over in a portfolio. And that's what we kind of rail against at, at SunGarden, at least in an environment where interest rates are about as low as they've been for 40 years. Yeah. And I think the takeaway for me, Rob, thank you for that explanation. Um, You need to you need to be more flexible. You need to think outside the box a little bit when building portfolios for folks that want to focus on preservation. And and look, not not everybody does. And if they don't, that's cool. I get it. Um, And then, you know, maybe maybe it makes sense to, to look to some of these other areas. But 
But for our clients, you know, the folks that, that we work with as a general rule have either worked their entire life to, you know, build up a business and, and, and sell it and, and need to live off that money or, or worked hard saving money in their retirement accounts and need to, to live off of that money as well. So preservation is paramount. And, and we, I think where we, we do a really good job is being flexible, being adaptive, thinking of other ways to, to protect and to build portfolios that we feel are, are built to last through any market environment. And, and I'm going to add one thing to that, and, and maybe more specifically, I should say, I'm going, to add, I'm going to add a little bit of fuel to the fire because I, I believe, and I'm not sure if you agree with me, Vince, but I think that what's happened over the last 30 years, particularly with bonds, is that a lot of people were sort of classically trained in, in, in what they think bonds are. And it's all their entire experience has been in a falling rate environment. In a rising rate environment, even if it's, it, it takes a long time to play out, years, maybe a decade or so, history tells us that the type of times we're in now you can't just sort of mail it in on the bond side of your portfolio. Yet, if you look at the typical 60-40 mix that people have, well, the 60 is in stocks, and we can talk another time about all the inherent issues of just sort of mailing it in on your, on your stock portfolio and just kind of taking what the market gives you. We're not fans of that. Uh, but on the bond side, the other 40% of it, there is this understanding that either they're going to be good contributors to the portfolio or that they're at least going to be sort of a flat performer and let the equity side of it do the work. Well, I think that there is a tremendous lack of understanding, believe it or not, not just in the investor community, but in the advisory community about sure. that we're talking about when it comes to fixed income in the bond market. Yeah, no, we, we can probably do a whole podcast on it. So definitely don't want to uh, beat the dead horse. But, but uh, no, cer- certainly there there's some issues. And, and I'd say one other thing to us that's really, really important, Rob, especially given our backgrounds and seeing, seeing some things in this business is having that daily liquidity and, and feeling like you have the ability to buy or sell something on any given day if if you if it really hits the fan and you really really need to, um, it's almost like I, I think what I hear you saying is if you if you buy some of these bond funds or buy it's like yeah they might be they might be liquid but you might find yourself in a situation where you're you're kind of backed into a corner and have to sell it at a loss. Well, I, I can tell you as someone that uh, descends from uh, a fellow that grew up in the depression in New York City, which is uh, my father, Carl Isbitz. I've always felt as an investor, and I know you do too, that you first have to start with the parade of horribles. What's the worst thing that can happen? And then go forward from there. And if any, a investment advisor, financial advisor, or do-it-yourself investor does not start with what's the worst thing that can happen, move forward from there, then I think they're doing themselves a disservice and they're probably only going to be as successful as a bull market in stocks or bonds, uh, or as they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. But what happens sure. when the tide goes out? 
right? When Warren Buffett yeah. says when the tide goes out, you can see who was swimming naked. Yeah, let's hope not. But yeah, <laughs> kidding. No, no doubt, no doubt. So, um, and, but but I do want our listeners to also understand that beyond preservation, as as important as it is for us, I mean, after all, we're looking to deliver solid returns over time. So, you know, we're we're not so focused on the preservation side of the equation that we're not out there looking for opportunities. But I I I think the point is. If you focus on that first and, and make sure that you don't have any disastrous situations in your portfolios, then you're you're putting yourself in a position to be able to do that, to be able to go out there and look for opportunities and take advantage of them. And and I think one of the one of the interesting things about the way we manage money is on the income side and and we'll save the the you know the growth side for another podcast but on the income side we generate the majority of our income from dividends and and a lot of our clients have money in taxable accounts and in this day and age and until things change it's a really favorable way to generate and create income uh, from a tax standpoint dividends are taxed at a much lower rate than than other traditional ways of income like bonds or even annuities. All right. I have to pause you here because I'm, I'm just sitting back and, uh, you know, thinking like a 90 year old here, uh, because obviously that's what my risk tolerance is. Um, (laughs) just on paper, just, yeah, just on paper. Um, so I'm hearing you talk about preservation, how important it is to preserve their, their capital, right. Their, their nest egg. And, and I understand, uh, and I'm, at least I'm hearing you when it comes to daily liquidity to take advantages or to run if need be. But guys, I mean, there are products in place for this, right? I mean, there there are annuitized products that uh, guarantee you a specific amount of income uh, potentially for the rest of your life. Why in God's name am I not using that? That's a good question, Matt. And and you certainly can. If you're willing to deal with all the things that go along with doing that. Okay, you have to tell me what the things are. Because because I'm hearing what you're saying, and, and honestly, it yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. But I, sure. I've also heard the pitch on the other end. So help yeah. me understand that a little bit more, please. Now, sure. Now, 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 now it's my turn to play a facetious guy, right? Uh, Vince... Uh, there is such a thing as a free lunch in investing, isn't there? No. <laughs> Tell me more. Look, the, what I want to say first before I get into get on my soapbox about the products, Matt, that you're discussing, mainly annuities, is I, I can I can tell you that in the course of my 24, 25 year career, I have come across situations where I said that they're appropriate. I, I don't, you know, I, I currently don't don't use annuities. I hear Sun Garden. It's not it's not part of what we do. But there are situations where they make sense. But I think they're few and far between. And I'm going to controversially, I would venture to say that if annuities didn't pay such a big commission to the folks that sold them, there'd be a lot less of them that get sold. With that said. Some of the things that we don't like about annuities, uh, well, one big one is the liquidity thing, right? I, I mean, I, I like to invest money in places that I know if if uh, we're wrong, 
we can get the heck out anytime we want, any day we want. Sun Garden's really based on that, right? I mean, that that really is one of our our kind of founding principles that we Absolutely. only want to invest, and we 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 get pitched things from our industry constantly, and immediately we dismiss so many of them because they don't offer the ability to change our mind as soon as we want to change our mind. Okay, I'm still going to play devil's advocate here because you guys are. Are, are doing such a good job of, of, of kind of arguing back and forth, but, um, well, we're arguing the same thing. Well, I, I know. Okay. So com- commissions aside, right. The liquidity aspect of it, how are you from a disciplinary standpoint and an investment discipline standpoint, not reacting emotionally, right? So having this daily yeah. liquidity, seems to me to allow you to get caught up in the emotion of, of investing. That's such a great question, Matt. And I say it all the time. It's nearly impossible to make smart investment decisions based on how you feel. I mean, it's really, really hard to do, right? Because when you feel like absolute garbage and the world's coming to an end and there's everybody hates the stock market and the stock, you can't make any money buying stocks like like people felt in 2008, 2009, was probably a, the buying opportunity of our lifetime, those of us on this podcast. But you felt really, really terrible and vice versa. I would say everybody right now feels awesome, except with the exception of what's happened over the last month, but some people haven't even noticed that. It's just like, Man, stocks are great. People are talking about it. I go to the barber shop. Everybody's talking. I don't go to the barber shop. I take that back. But <laughs> <laughs> you go out about town. People are talking about stocks and how much money their friends are making or they're making in stocks. Everybody feels really good about it. And I would argue it's probably not the best time to back up the truck on on these these uber aggressive type of of equities. So. What do you do to get around this this whole emotional roller coaster? I think what you do and and what we do here at Sun Garden is we have a process and we stick to the process and we and we believe in it and and we we constantly evolve it and 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 make it better. But it's something we can fall back on and 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 help and it helps us get our emotions out of the way. Because if we, you know, Rob and I have spent a lot of time many, 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 many hours honing this investment process and different things that we watch and why we watch them and why we follow them. And for us, the process works. Yeah, this podcast is about preservation primarily. And preservation has a high component of risk management. And we view ourselves as risk managers before everything else. Because typically, if somebody's accumulated a lot of assets, the first thing I want to make sure is you know, avoid big loss, as we said earlier. And uh, one of our clients had a great expression for this. I want to minimize maximum regret, which is financial and emotional at the same time, which is why I love that that phrase. Yeah, that's great. And, and so Vince is right about the process. And then but of course, everybody says they have a process. I think some processes are built to where the uh, time is their friend. In other words, just be a long-term investor and you'll be fine. And that opens you up to a wide range of possibilities. And and uh, a lot of people don't want to be open to all those possibilities. So 
along with the process, within the process, there must be a discipline. And what is a discipline? Uh, well, in layman's terms, is having guardrails around what you're willing to do. And I'll refer back again, the risk allies score and that part of the discovery process with, with, with any new or existing client, because we update those, is to try to define the guardrails. And then from actual experience, you also get a pretty good idea of what the guardrails are. And uh, you know, we're long, short investors uh, at the core. And uh, if you're investing in things that by their nature can tamp down volatility, then you have some built-in guardrails. And I'm sure we'll go into that in, in more depth in another podcast. But yeah, for sure. uh, there have to be guardrails. And, and I guess the other phrase I would keep in, in, in mind, uh, a client told me a long time ago, they said, you know, Rob, what is great about you folks at SunGarden is that you realize that even though I'm a, quote, long-term investor, that the long-term is made up of many shorter-term periods of time. And you actually take the care to proactively oversee and, when necessary, make decisions in those timeframes. And you don't just lean back to, to rooting for the portfolio to go up, waving the flag for for uber long-term investing uh, because uh, there are different time frames involved. That's important. Yep. Good point, Rob. We don't pat ourselves on the back if the market's down 30 uh, and we're down 27. Right. That doesn't work for us. No, but in the pension world, they'll probably give you more money because you beat the benchmark. It's just a different world. That is not us. Yep. So how do we wrap wrap this up in a nice uh, tight little bow for today? Good, good question, Matt. I think it's time. Um, so we, I think we've we've said pretty much all there is to say on the preservation front. But the, I don't think we touched enough on the income and why why dividends. Why do we focus on generating most of our income from dividends? Uh, one, tax advantages are, are are very very important. But I think what's also really important when it comes to dividends as there's potential for your income stream to grow over time because companies that are doing well, that have good profits, that are in good businesses, that have great balance sheets, they tend to raise their dividend over time. And not a lot, you know, but if you take a a small, let's say 2% dividend raise every year over 10 years, uh, it, it moves the needle. And you just don't get that opportunity in annuities. You don't get that opportunity in bonds. I, I think it's the only place that I know of that that there, there's potential for that to happen. And look, everything else goes up in price, right? So it's important for for us to to be cognizant of that over the long haul too. And and with so much uh, real price fluctuation, some of it you have to. Figure out. I'm talking about in the stock market, you know, where you get the dividends from. I think one of the things that really is a differentiator of our investment process, and and it's a it's one of the guardrails that I've talked about. Again, I, I I'm sure we'll discuss this more deeply in other podcasts. But there's really a a two tier approach to how we approach dividend investing. There are the core stocks, companies, growing dividends. 
that Vince just talked about. And then there is also a tactical component to it uh, because one way to adapt to the way markets have changed over the last 10 to 15 years in particular, they've gotten more volatile. Uh, there's a lot of uh, players that weren't involved before and they swing prices around. And so it encourages us to think in different timeframes. And so, yes, there are plenty of stocks in the long side of the portfolio that we would like to own for a few years or more. And then there are also others where we're kind of keyed in on the dividend and we want to try to boost the income without having too much capital in harm's way. And I think I'll leave it at that for, for this broad brush on preservation and income. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Vince. Um, I love the idea that you guys are, are looking at something in a fundamentally unique and different way to provide your clients and investors an alternative to something that is highly advertised, that is highly commission structured, and also is highly talked about to the point where people don't think there's another option. Having another option for you and your portfolio can make a huge difference when it comes to your long-term investing. So guys, thank you very much for your thought leadership today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And if you know a financial services professional that is consistently selling annuities and is consistently talking about, you know, uh, an old school way of buy and hold an asset allocation without liquidity, without flexibility, please make sure that you share this podcast with them. And also do your best to find Rob Isbitt's column in Forbes magazine. If you just Google Rob, you will see very quickly that he has been writing great thought leadership for many, many years. So for everybody at Sun Gardening and the Investing Evolution podcast, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Investing Evolution podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are investment advisor representatives with Dynamic Wealth Advisors, DBA Sungarden Investment Research. All investment advisory services are offered through Dynamic Wealth Advisors. The material in this podcast has been distributed for informational purposes only. The material contained in this podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell any security or offer any investment advice. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without expressed written permission. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are also the sub-advisors of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund carefully before investing. This and other important information is contained within the fund's prospectus, which may be obtained by contacting your financial advisor or by calling toll-free 800-442-4358. Please read prospectus materials carefully before investing.